Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. <laughs> Always a second time. Evan, fight down! And Peyton thinks that I've started this podcast over again because he didn't want me to say certain things that I just said. That is true. And that will not come as a surprise to our audience at all. <laughs> that I said things <laughs> that I shouldn't have said? No, that won't come as a surprise to anybody. But, uh, hey, um... I don't know about you, but every by the time everyone listens to this podcast, the Republican National Convention will have been concluded. And I would just yeah. like to say that I have made it through that entire thing without watching a single minute of it. <laughs> I'm proud of that. Yeah. Actually, quite I proud. I wish that were the case. Unfortunately, I have seen some disturbing footage of that. Well, okay, this is let, let me rephrase. I haven't watched it on TV, but if it shows up in my main news source, which is Facebook, then I might have seen yes, a clip he, or two here or there. Yes, I too saw a clip on the Oracle, otherwise known as Facebook, font <laughs> of all knowledge. What what and, did you uh, um what did you see? What was disturbing to you? I saw the prayer. Oh, I see, I didn't see the prayer. Like, it was it was kind of like a, a bad sketch out of Monty Python. Oh Lord, we pray that thine would blow thy tiny enemies to bits. You know, it, like held aloft the the golden hand grenade, the holy hand grenade, and um, you know the, the 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 liberal Democrats will be blown blown to kingdom come, and there will be much feasting and rejoicing, feasting on wombats and orangutans. It was terrible. It was it was. Probably the worst blending I've ever seen of the kingdom of man and what was supposed to be the kingdom of God in in a prayer that just was it was it was near into blasphemy. I mean, it was just terrible. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't feel strongly about it, but uh, anyways, I saw a clip of it and I was like, oh man, look, guys, if if you're a priest. Don't try to be a king, right? God had those as separate offices. The only person that was prophet, priest, and king is Jesus, right? If you're going to be a, a priest, if you're going to be a minister of the gospel, stick to that. If you want to go be a king, get out of ministry, go be a politician, and uh, be a king. It's fine. Unless you're Martin Luther King Jr., and he could do both. I was actually talking to one ex-church planner, and... I just kind of asked him, I'm like, so, you know, why aren't you doing the church planning thing anymore? And he goes, well, because I realized that what I was really after 
was I wanted to have the big church because I wanted to be the center of attention. He goes, and that just wasn't the right reason to be in it. So I got out. And I was like, wow, man, that, that is, that is, I, I feel like saying flesh and blood does not reveal these things, brother. That is, that is God. Yeah. That's God talking to that man's soul. Yeah. So what's he doing? I can't tell you because then you'd know who it is, and I don't mind telling you, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast because it's yeah, not yeah. cool. No, it's good. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought I I was actually kind of blown away that they realized that's what they were in it for, and they're like, "That's the ra- the wrong reason. I'm out. I'm done." And I think I know who you just. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Have you seen that video we have for uh, New Breed where it says uh, it, it's from 300 and it shows all the sparks? Yeah. yeah. And the guy's walking up and down the line and he goes, that one. It's when they're, they're assessing the troops. He goes, that one. He just dreams of being the next Mark Driscoll. He, he, he might settle for Chandler Hood. <laughs> and, uh, and then the guy goes, yeah, we'll break him. You know, gospel work will do the rest, but we'll break him in jump school. I love it's, it, man. it's true in all of us, I think. You know, in uh, all of us, like you and I always talk, Pete, there's always that balance between ego and impact. I was just training a bunch of church planners, and I, I was just telling them the same thing. Look, ego is that part of me that wants to be liked. And if I accept an invitation to speak, some of it's like, hey, yeah, I'm awesome. You know, of course you want to hear me. And then the part that's impact is the spirit. So the, the ego part's flesh. And you're always going to have that warning. And hopefully you keep it in check. But being honest about it and being aware of it is a huge part of fighting the battle. Pretending it doesn't exist and justifying everything in the name of ministry. Uh, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm important. I'm doing important work for God. No, maybe you're not. Maybe it's all about your ego. It doesn't matter if you're filling stadiums. But it can all still be about you. And when you know that it's about impact is, you know, I, in, in my next book coming up, I've got a, a question in there where I said, if, if God gave you a choice between a ministry that was going to, you know, have moderate success in America, thousands of people in your church, your name is going to be well known on books. People are downloading your sermons. You were a household celebrity versus Having a ministry in India where you were reaching millions, but nobody ever knew who you were, which one would you choose? And that's a really good way to kind of use a, a, a litmus test between ego and impact. Yeah. As Jesus said, what's, what's done in secret is what would be rewarded by the Father, not what's yeah. done in public, which is awesome for all the people who are serving the Lord and aren't ministers, aren't public figures. It's just a sobering thought. Jesus was just speaking to people. Like, hey, God's going to reward stuff that nobody knows about. So, I dig it, man. I dig it. Well, I think we should probably tell everyone um, two things. What today's topic is and why you're in a car doing the podcast. Well, I'm in a car because I'm killing two birds with one stone. And uh, the topic today is on resting. And, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, we're anticipating, you know, we're jumping ahead of jump school. I mean, uh, oh, what am I saying? We're jumping ahead of smack talk a little bit and getting straight into some seriousness. But uh, here's the deal. Um, We often don't know how to rest and we're guilty of it because we think, hey, the world's going to hell around us. We're called with the highest calling on earth. How do I stop? And how do I justify stopping? Doesn't that make me look lazy? Doesn't make me look irresponsible? And I think when you're brand new in ministry and you're just kind of getting a handle on your calling, you don't know how to rest and you're not wise about pacing yourself. And uh, Jesus rested. Even Paul rested. We'll talk about that. People don't think of Paul resting, but Paul rested too. And uh, so anyways, I want to chat about that a bit because you are the tool that God uses. Every other job has tools. I'm sure we have tools, but you are the tool. <laughs> You're a tool. Uh, and I can't say that, huh? I don't know, but I'm sitting there going, this is the greatest line ever. 
<laughs> Peyton just called all of our listeners tools. I ripped it off from Spurgeon, so he beat me to it about 150 years. But well, anyways, that's our topic. I'll, I'll save the rest. Awesome. I, I would like to go back to my uh, my Republican National Convention uh, segment, because there was actually a point to that. And I didn't yeah, remember I it. I hijacked it kind of like uh, Donald Trump hijacked the Republican Party. <laughs> Dude, so. I'm telling you, that guy did not want to actually be president. And now that he's this far, he's like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I actually agree with you. I don't. I, I really think he is going to intentionally screw something up so he doesn't get elected and he's going to blame it on everyone else. Like, I think he's, he's probably going to blame it on Cruz. You know, because Cruz is like, I'm not endorsing you. He's speaking at the Republican convention. I'm not endorsing Trump. Vote your conscience. That's just like the best ever. But but um, here's what my point was. So back in 2004, uh, a buddy of mine and I, we uh, put a book together. And I don't recommend anyone go out and buy it or anything. In fact, I won't even tell you what it is. But it was a political book because I was a political junkie. Had a political radio show, the full deal, right? And um, I want to read it. Yeah, you got to send me a copy now. You know, I think I still have about 500 in my garage. <laughs> so <laughs> that could be arranged. Um, I think every client I've ever had has gotten a copy. I'm like, hey, here you go. Here's a book from Pete. Oh, look at that. I'm the author. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, so we, we hooked up and, and met with this one guy. His name is Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, and uh, some of our listeners might know who that is. He's got a syndicated radio show, and he wrote a book. He's a, he's a um, a black minister in L.A., and he wrote a book called Scam, How the Black Leadership Exploits Black America. Really interesting book. Very interesting book. And so he's on. he does all the radio shows, right? Does really big on Fox, because whenever they need a, a black guy to be the conservative voice, they'll bring him in and... He goes off on, you know, whatever. But there was a line in the book that I thought was really interesting. He was talking about it was either Al Sharpton or uh, Jesse Jackson. I can't remember which one because he ripped on them equally. Uh, But the line was this is someone was like trying to like cozy up to African-Americans. And he was like, um, and, and I think it was Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton was like, you know, the black folks not for sale. You can't buy our vote. And, you know, basically saying that to whoever this Republican was. And Jesse Lee Peterson's point was, he goes, you're right. It's not for sale. It's already been sold. He goes, it's already been sold to the Democrats. It'd be so much better if it wasn't sold to the Democrats. Cause then we'd actually get people to cater to us and, and actually deliver on their promises. And I thought that was a really interesting point. And I started thinking about that this week. In terms of the Christian vote, I think you could say the exact same thing about the Christian vote. The Christian vote is, you know, you got someone going up there. It's not for sale. No, it's already been paid for by the Republicans. And that's why they don't have to do anything to cater to the Christian values because they're already going to get it. And how much better would Christians be if they were like, you know what? All right, we're out of this mix. We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. You know, these are our values. You cater to us, you might get our support. You don't cater to our values, you don't get our support. I mean, just a, a thought that that hit me this last week because I've been watching all this mumbo jumbo going on all over the place. Yeah, it's funny because uh, every time I watch a political candidate get in there, um, every, every political race and every time we have an election, I watch the Christian leaders kind of forget themselves momentarily, kind of lose their minds and become, it's like all of the standards that they've held to all these years, suddenly they get this gigantic blind spot and this next candidate becomes the new Jesus, the the great white hope, the savior. And, and it, it's really disturbing to me because like you said, we're easily sold. We're easily duped. And you know, I, I just find that as we, um, you know, as we as we head into the election, guys, you know, here, here's the thing. Um, in the Reagan era, we had a conservative Supreme Court, right? Majority uh, was conservative. 
we had a, a Republican House, Republican Senate, Republican Congress, and we had a Republican president, Ronald Reagan. We still did nothing about abortion. Yep. And so my my kind of take on it is everybody says, well, abortion, abortion, abortion. And the last thing done, really, of significance on abortion was Roe v. Wade. And it, it didn't turn out good for us. And so my, my, my point here, guys, is everybody, every single cycle, every four-year term seems to forget reality. We go into this reality distortion field and suddenly, oh, this guy's a Christian. Oh, this, you know, that, that was the thing a few weeks ago where all of a sudden now we had to make the president a born-again man. And, and, and I just find it very, very disturbing. And I know that lost people around us find it disturbing because when you minister in L.A. County, like we did, Pete, and we planted uh, Refuge Long Beach, um, you, you hear people. I have heard people literally come to church, get saved, and, and say to me, you know, the reason I didn't get saved for so long was I thought I had to become a Republican to be a Christian. And I so hate the Republican Party. So if you're in a, in a place like New York or L.A., you're going to find that it becomes a barrier to the gospel. So going back to my earlier statement is, hey, be, be a political supporter of your party. Hey, no problem. But please do not cross the lines. Paul said he became all things to all men that he might win some. Um, do not throw a barrier. And that's what Paul then goes on to talk talk about as a barrier and a stumbling block. Therefore, we, we throw no stumbling block in the way of people. Uh, be careful with this stuff. And I'm, I'm watching it. I'm watching leaders that are, that are older, <coughs> excuse me, that are mature, that are wise in many, many areas and should know better do this. And I think, oh man, and you are in a position where you might actually reach far more people than the rest of us why are you doing this? Hmm. Interesting. I, I know those are strong words, man, but I'm, I'm just saying like we have a responsibility to represent God yeah. and, uh, but we got to be careful. We got to be so careful, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, we did know, get a uh, smock, smack talk. I know. Well, we did get a review this last week. So I think we need to give some, some mad props out here. To uh, Big Brutus. That's the name. Big Brutus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't think I've seen this one. Yeah, I sent it to you. I don't. You say that every time, but I sent it to you. So the title is Love It. When I started listening, I kept thinking Pete sounded like Ed Helms. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I thought there was no way Helms is on a church planning show, but sometimes I thought there was no way Pete is on one either. <laughs> I've since realized that both these guys' hearts are devoted to ministry. Well, okay, one of them. All right. The podcast quickly became a daily routine until I was caught up. It was also quickly became my favorite podcast, and a few others had to go away. I love the smack talk as much as I do the topics. I often often find myself laughing out loud, wondering why I like this so much. Thank goodness I'm usually listening by myself. Peyton has completely changed my philosophy on church planning. Sadly, what I was missing was right in front of me the whole time in the book of Acts. It also raised up some discontent for the status quo. I can't remember how I stumbled upon this podcast, but I'm glad I did. Well, Big Brutus, if uh, you haven't gotten the Jump School uh, app inside your magazine, um, open up your Church Planner magazine on your iPhone or your Android device. And uh, down on the bottom of the right side, there's a little gear icon. Tap that, and then you'll see a little button that says Contact Us Here. Just click that little button, say, I'm Big Brutus, and we will unlock that Jump School as a thank you for giving us a review. So you'll get the uh, Jump School study guide and the videos inside your app on your device. Thanks a lot, Big Brutus. We love that review. Enjoy the swag. Woohoo! So. So speaking of swag, I uh, I went to the Comic Con the other night. It's kind of cool. How'd that go? I, uh, yeah, it was cool. Well, I got this set up, 
So here's the deal. I, I don't get to do all the fun, nerdy, geeky stuff. My, my neighbor works uh, for Mile High Comics and has worked for them, you know, like the biggest uh, retailer of comics in the world. And so they, uh, they have a big presence there. And it was funny because I'd be bumping into guys from like, you know, pretty high profile companies, execs. And they'd say, oh, you know, because they had an exhibitor tag. And they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, from Mile High. And they would get all excited, geek out. Oh, man, Mile High. Oh, I've been reading. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you're, you're like, you're like one of the big monkey mucks at Blizzard, you know? Um, I should be geeking out on you. But anyways, it, it was funny because I don't work for Mile High. But uh, I was just setting up. I was taking stuff off of a back of a truck, you know, getting stuff ready for a forklift. And uh, so I was in the guts of the Comic-Con. Anyways, I got to walk the floor. And uh, if you remember a few years ago, uh, Lou Frigno from The Incredible Hulk was in our booth. Yeah. And uh, my claim to fame was I knocked his sign down on accident. I was working in the booth, right? Set things up. Knocked his sign down and it broke. And it was just a plastic sign, but he got really mad. And all I could think was, please don't hurt me. You know, he's deaf, so I don't know sign I thought, language. I thought, you were gonna I, say, I, mean, I thought you were going to say, I'm not going to like him when he's angry. <laughs> well, no, I did not like him. He, he got really mad. Like, he was he was gesticulating wildly, you know, like he was pointing in the sign. He was giving me the come on face, you know, throwing his hands up. He was really mad. And uh, but inside, I was so happy. Because I'm thinking, I made the whole class. Yes, it was awesome. Oh, that's but, the best. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- this year was uh, nothing quite that exciting. I mean, we didn't. The only cool thing was I met this guy who sculpts all these uh, Batman statues and some pretty famous stuff. That you know, if you're into that stuff, it's. I'm like, oh, I know you're working. He was there, and he was just really cool. And um, yeah, it was it was neat though. It's cool to to be able to walk around. I saw the Walking Dead, uh, you know, booth and the Viking booth. You know, from the show The Vikings. I got a a, a giant horn. You know, it, it's a drinking horn, but you know, due to my uh, stature with with Nam, it, it it will only have uh, a booze beverage, shall we say, in it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool, man. I All I know it. is I am so going to go swipe that horn and go to islands and go here, fill it up. Dude, anytime you want to borrow my, my, my Ragnar Lothbrook horn, let me know. I love it. I love it, man. I've always wanted to so go to Comic-Con, swag. but I've never gone. Yeah. And it's I would cool, go man. with a you few hundred there. extra dollars so I can get pictures with everyone like Lou Ferrigno. I'd give him his 40 bucks. I'd be like, here's your 40, dude. Take a picture with me. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was 40 bucks. Take a picture with him. You couldn't just snap a picture. That was the other thing. He'd get up and get mad at people for, like, stealing a little picture of him. So it was pretty funny. You know why? uh, Because that's his income, man. And and you know how much steroids cost? They're expensive. (laughs) Oh. What? What? No one knows he's on steroids. It's a big secret. Hey, Come on. Hey, hey, you're trying to make him mad now too. You, you can't steal my thunder. <laughs> no, but I am saying I, I would so go there with like I don't know five or six hundred extra dollars, and just take pictures with everybody, pay them their their pound of flesh. Because as a marketer, I'd use that in my marketing. Like I got my picture with me and Kathy Ireland, and I use that so much. <laughs> like I, I have this. seen that picture so many times. <laughs> I did an event for these car detailers and I'm like, here's a picture of me. And it was like me in my suit. And I'm like, no, nope, that's too formal. Here's another one. It was me with like the, my kid was being born. I got my eyes all big and I got the full mask and the the thing on my head and all that. And I'm like, Oh, that one's kind of scary. And I'm like, okay, here's one with me, Kathy Island. Kathy Island has got nothing to do with this, but Hey, if you had a picture of you and Kathy Island, you'd use it too. <laughs> that's so awesome, dude. <laughs> So I'd, I'd totally be taking pictures with everybody. It'd make it into my marketing everywhere. In fact, the biggest people, regret was when I met Stan Lee. Did I ever tell you about the time I met Stan Lee? In I the airport? I tell the stories as often as I can. 
Yeah. In an airport. Yeah. And, and I know I've told you like 10 times and I probably said on the podcast a bunch, I met Stan Lee and I, I, I was so in shock. Like I was in shock. I walked away and I was kind of stunned. Like I just met Stan Lee, you know, it was just kind of, he was just walking through the airport. I think and, it's, uh, I think I, it's funny how you get, you get starstruck all the time. Like people don't realize when we interview certain people, I can tell yeah. when you were really nervous. Like when we did Francis Chan's interview, you were like almost in a puddle on the floor. Like I got Francis Chan on the line. You know, it was, <laughs> it was hilarious to me because I used to be that way. This is a true story, man. One of my first jobs, it was 1999. I was working at Interplay, which is a video game company. I was their benefits manager and um, they had just hired this new CFO. And I knew how much the CFO made. He was like 200,000 base and, you know, like 400,000 a year in bonuses and stuff, which was a lot of money back then. I mean, it's a lot of money today, but today you'd see him even higher, you know, salaries and stuff. And I walked into the bathroom and I walk up to the urinal and all of a sudden he walks in and walk and steps up to the urinal next to me. And I froze. I couldn't go. <laughs> I was like. Are you serious? Yeah, dude, I just froze. I'm like, dude, it's a CFO. He's standing right next to me at the urinal. And so, you know, I did the whole like fake. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, uh, you know, go wash my hands and leave. <laughs> and so. I've never faked a pee for anybody, B. <laughs> well, now, now I don't run into that. And whenever I find myself where I'm about ready to get nervous, this is a true story, man. I say to myself, I can pee next to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go awesome. over and I'll, I'll go talk to him. I can pee next to anybody. I'm just saying. Well, you know, with the Francis Chan thing, it's funny. I don't think I'd, I'd probably be as starstruck now, but here's the thing. At the time, we were new. Like, yeah. and we couldn't get him. Remember, he was really, he's still really hard to get. <laughs> yeah, we, we I don't know if we could get him again. Yeah, that's the thing. We haven't been able to get him back since, <laughs> maybe because of that. And, Maybe because in, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, we're just starting out. I'm thinking, oh man, this is our big fish. And, and, and I remember thinking, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. He never takes interviews. Don't screw it up. And, and, and I really should have, should have relaxed because that's a worse thing, man, is when you get nervous. But the funny thing is probably the bigger fish was when we had Philip Yancey. I call him Phil, you know, because we're like this, but, but, you know, I, I remember having it. If you don't know the story, we had, we had, Hey, Phil, <laughs> fill up. We had Phil. And by then I think I had gotten over being nervous around our guests. And so I come into the call and when I come in, I come in going, Woo! <laughs> and, and, and it was just this awkward silence. Like Philip does not think this is funny. He is not enjoying this. He's thinking, I am a professional. I have, and no disrespect to him. He should be treated with respect. The guy's an amazing writer. He's interviewed guys like Martin Luther King Jr. when he was young. He's Did he really? Gandhi. I mean, wow. Yeah, dude, he was, he was, he was, a, he's been a journalist all his life. And the guy, he deserves respect. But, you know, here, here we come, me and you, you know, and by then I think we're pretty comfortable with our uh, Beavis and Butthead. Uh, moniker that we had been labeled with the Beavis and Butthead of church planning by then. One of our guests had said that. And, uh, Rattle that was down, problem, Beavis. By the way. Rattle down, Beavis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that, um, before his interview, I, and I was, I was still a little bit nervous, but especially because things were just not seeming to go right. You know, beforehand, like he did, he either he just was annoyed, offended in a rush or whatever. But anyways, all that to say, um, I kept calling him Phil and he hated it. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he corrected me for it. And then, uh, but I couldn't stop doing it. So I'd be like, so Phil, and he'd go, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was the best. It was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, well, we should actually get into our topic. So, uh, um, we really should. 
really uh, should. Let me let me just uh, let me just play a little Yoda here. Welcome, you are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by Mogive. Could you like shut up and give us some money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. And I'm all of a sudden, that, that year-long contract is ended. Could you like shut up and give us some money? <laughs> hey, Peyton, let me ask you a little something, something. You're a church planner. You've been doing it for a while. You've helped other church planners. What do you advise people to do where they want to have an online or maybe even a text-based giving platform? Well, I normally suggest that people go on religious television, grow their hair a bit, get a white suit, and uh, start gold plating everything. But if you're not ready to do that, then I suggest that they get MoGive, MoGive.com, which is a cheap an affordable online giving platform to help increase the giving in your church. I like it. Did I just, did I screw it up? I, I did, didn't I? Just I, don't think, ran with it. I don't think you can screw up the MoGive commercial. Yeah. Any more than we already do. Yeah, pretty much. So let me ask okay. you something, Peyton, when you reach out to these folks, what do you tell them or where do you tell them to go on the internet? I tell them to go to mogive.com forward slash church. And by the way, Pete, there is no E at the end of mogive. It's M-O-G-I-V forward slash church. No. M-O-G-I-V dot com. See, that's why we can't have nice things. I know. I know. That's why no one else is coming to us saying, hey, we want to advertise on your show. <laughs> we actually never go after advertising. No. It's just not, it's not our thing. We should be. We should be like. We probably should. I got a call yesterday. I got a call yesterday from Josh Boyd. He was like, hey, man, these guys want me to do an MMA podcast. And I need to talk to you about that. And, you know how do we do this? How do we work it? How do we do the money? And how do we do the magazine and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, cool. This could be fun. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you know anything about MMA? Do I know any? I only run MMA main event magazine. I know. The biggest and most successful MMA magazine on the market today. Actually, that's the only (laughs) MMA online magazine on the market. (laughs) Today. No, there, there is a UFC magazine, and they're probably a little bit bigger than us. Maybe. Maybe maybe just a little. Just maybe. a little bit. Maybe. Un poco. Hey, did you hear the UFC just sold for uh, $4 billion? Dude, that's the gold number. Trump's worth $4 billion. Star Wars was bought for $4 billion. Now UFC's $4 billion. That's the new, you know, keys to the executive washroom. That's Dana, like you know you made it. Dana White owned 9% of the company. So he just, she? oh my gosh. All right. So, um, let's move into today's topic now that we're, uh, we're way late. Right. Scott, yeah, we are late. It's By the time way. for this week's topic. How many minutes in are we? Cause Mike Bonomo complained about last week that stack talk was too long. You know what? All I got to say to Mike Bonomo is we got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets have fallen off. That's all I'm saying. We're, yeah, we're, it went too long. We're a good half hour in. Okay. All right. Well, hey, hey, guys, look. Um, so here's the deal. Vacation, rest. Um, you need to make sure that you are resting. Remember, the first thing, when God created the world, right? He created the world. And on the seventh day, which was man's first morning, he woke up to. A lot of people don't realize this. Um, when Adam woke up in the morning, the day after he was created, um, his first 24-hour period was a rest. And God started off man's creation with rest. Yes, there's six days for work, but God prioritized his rest as this is first. This is the first thing. In importance, it's the first thing you should be mindful of. It's the first thing you ought 
to be thinking about. The reason why is God cares about us. And that philosophy is something that is so hard for people to understand. God cares about us way more than anything that we can do for him. And so when it comes down to resting, we often think, oh, the mission, the mission, the mission. Got to get the mission done. No time for rest. I'll rest when I'm dead. And that sounds really good on movies, but it sounds really bad in divorce court. Mm. It sounds really, really bad when your family, family's falling apart or you've lost your integrity because you start drinking or you're, you're sneaking peeks at porn or whatever it is that you're doing to just, because you're so burnt out, so afraid that you're burning the candle at both ends. You're a shadow of your former self. And somehow you think you're going to be any good to anybody when you're falling to bits. And it's a big myth in the church. And so the, the number one thing that, that we need to realize and remember is that Jesus himself rested as our creator. He designed us to rest. And, and it's a mind shift. It's even, even for us as Americans, um, when I live in Britain, uh, I get six weeks off a year, right? In America. Good night. Uh, yeah, no kidding, right? So that's a big deal. They get six weeks, five to six weeks off. And that's fairly typical of European countries. It's typical in Australia, New Zealand. Um, a lot of these, these countries, they have, hey, you need your break. And studies and research show that the more rest you have, uh, the, the better you learn. Um, even, even, for example, on my team right now, on NAM, uh, Mac Lake, they're doing a study and they're showing that when you come back from vacation and you are truly rested, your brain absorbs information better. So you work better after you've rested. You know, here's the thing though, where I notice pastors taking breaks and there are some pastors I'm like, man, they're always on a break. They're always going someplace and doing something. Very true. Um, but it's always the big churches. So how do you, you know, work in the proper amount of rest? If you've got a church plant, cause you basically are it, you know, you're the guy running well, it now. All. Yeah. So that's an important question because what you're talking about is say like a mega church pastor, maybe he's a mega church pastor. He's, he's, uh, able to go on quote unquote ministry trips that, I've come to realize that a lot of pastors, when they start traveling a bunch, um, I, I've kind of come to see it as it's their way of coping. Because ministry can be, at times, confining and stifling when you have a big church that you feel you have to um, always toe the line, always perform for. I see guys escaping at times. And I'll, I'll say that because I know some ministers who I, I just know that they're always on, they don't know how to rest, and it, it's almost kind of like a type of running away um, from the church because suddenly they're gone all the time. But it's ministry trips, quote-unquote. Uh, but, but it's not really ministry trips. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it, it could be one way of just trying to, to force a rest that you're not normally giving yourself. And, and so here's the deal. Um, let's say, like you said, you're, you're a church planner. A, you're not going to have a bunch of money to begin with. So, <coughs> excuse me, you're not going to have a bunch of money to begin with. Um, let's say you work your full-time job and you're, you're there um, kind of planting the church and leading. Well, the first thing that, that you're going to notice is if you haven't built a team, a ministry team, and I don't mean a team of volunteers who are your minions and you are the evil henchmen. I mean a true ministry team, a team of equals. Uh, for example, Paul, although he, he had guys like Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus, we always think of them as his, uh, his delegates. Um, but at the same time, Paul had guys like Barnabas. He had partners. Now, he calls them all his fellow workers. 
elevating them to a level alongside him. But there's clearly a mentoring relationship. Now, that's good. That's fine. But you need, when you plant, to make sure that you're not the only capable leader. If you are the only capable leader and you go to plant, you've just done a foolish thing. In fact, you've done an unbiblical thing, if you really want to get down to it. When Jesus sent them out, he sent them out two by two. So right away, you need to look at that and say, am I kind of following the best practices of Jesus on mission, where you send two equals? So if you are not working with a Barnabas, guess what? You probably need to find someone who is your equal, who can serve alongside you. So I would say that, that when I planted uh, uh, Refuge Longgate, so the first thing I did is I went and got Charlie. I, I recruited Charlie inside the church plant because I knew I need a Barnabas, right? I can't have just Bonimo, Jimbo, Ruben. Uh, I know I'm forgetting one or two of them, but I need guys. I need someone there that should I drop dead tomorrow, he's ready to rock and roll. And so that's the first thing is, is if you don't have anyone who can kind of shoulder the burden for you, then you can't rest. And that's not a good thing. You can make all kinds of excuses for it, but you're just not following the biblical example that's been laid down. Paul had a Barnabas. The disciples had each other two by two. And you need someone to. Otherwise, you can't take a break. Hmm. So uh, how does that look? I mean, you got to go out and recruit somebody. You may have to. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it could be that you, you know, you've got a, a friend. Sometimes it happens naturally. Sometimes. Uh, yeah. I mean, in, in my case, I went, I just prayed about it and then tapped Charlie and Charlie, Charlie was like, Hey, you know, uh, it, it was funny. The day I called Charlie to have this conversation, Charlie approached me and shared with me what God had been saying to him. He wasn't ready to church plan. And he said, can, can I come and incubate my core team with you until we're ready to launch? And I said, you know, it's funny you're saying this. And in the end, he only brought a handful of people. It wasn't like he brought tons of people uh, over. And I think all of them did end up going, uh, it was, you know, uh, Lisa Sribi and maybe one or two other couples. But the, the reality is that um, God was engineering that. So, so the answer to that is there are many ways that that can happen, but it just needs to happen. And if you don't have a strong team of at least one other couple, um, then you're not really launching safe, and it's not going to work out well. So the other thing is, you know, when it comes down to resting, Resting can take various forms. So Charles Spurgeon, for example, um, as busy of a man of God as he was, and I mean, he had his schedule nailed down to the wire. <clears throat> he didn't, uh, he didn't um, mess about with his schedule. He didn't have a lot of uh, time that he wasted. But what he did do is he scheduled uh, the summer months off. Now, he had, he had some medical conditions. He had a condition called gout, and uh, he had other things that, that plagued him. And what would happen is he would have to go because the pain would, would be so bad in his body that there were times he would grip the pulpit and his knuckles would be white, and they'd say that he was perspiring because he was in so much pain um, while he was preaching. But if he got in a warmer climate, that really helped. Gout is something to do <coughs> with your kidneys. And so when he got into a warmer climate, it just helped him a lot. So he would go down to Mentone, which is a little coastal town off the Mediterranean uh, in the south of France, and he would convalesce there every single summer. And that's where he would do a lot of his writing. But he would come back rested and ready to go. A lot of people don't know that about Spurgeon. So are you saying we need to all go to the Mediterranean? Because I'm down. I'm saying, I'm saying it, it's not a bad place, but you know, maybe again, you're a church planner. I, I couldn't afford holidays like that. When I started church planning, I was a missionary, man, but, but there's different kinds of breaks. There's breaks where, you know, we know what a staycation is, but, uh, but you take a break off the church. And I would say, if you're going to go away for a week, 
whether it's camping, that's a cheap, cheap way to get away that you do it. But what I would recommend is you, you do it for two weeks and not necessarily like your job may not let you go for more than a week, but I would say take off the church an additional week. Really? So go on your vacation. Absolutely. Because there's something about being detached from things. Not uh, for me personally, I find if I go somewhere for a week, I'm only starting to unwind at the end of the first week. By the second week, I'm then, uh, then I can truly rest. It's kind of like if you think about sleep cycles, right? Your sleep cycles, they can say you sleep a few hours. You haven't gone into deep sleep yet. And let's say it's called REM, right? It's where you, you, you go into this deep, deep, and that's where the restoration and rest the restorative properties of sleep come from. Um, whereas if you only sleep a few hours, it's not quite the same. You need that REM. And so if you're not getting enough sleep, they say usually you want two REM cycles. So if you're not sleeping like you're seven, eight hours, you're only getting, if you're doing five hours, you're probably only getting one REM cycle. And so you don't feel as good. You feel markedly different if you get those two REM cycles. And so, and I think they happen like every three hours or something like that. And uh, I don't know, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's all coming back to me from the, the recesses of my nursing days. But uh, in the same way, I would say that the body um, and, and the mind has that same thing, not just in sleep, but just in rest rhythms. And Jesus had rest rhythms. So when you notice like Paul, for example, on mission, he's, it's a start and stop. He's got a, he's active and busy. And I would imagine when he was on mission in the city, he was unstoppable. You know, there's times we see where he's preaching well into the night, but then remember, Paul has times where he stops and he moves on and he just completely shuts down all of that. Not saying he's not sharing the gospel on the way, not saying he's not prepared for surprises, but Paul's gone into a different mode. He has had a clean break. For me, um, even getting out of ministry, I get out of ministry every five years or so, and I do something completely unrelated. And so when people look at my track record and they go, oh, you did this radical thing here. I have rest periods. And I'm, we joke, you, you know, you and I, when I mentioned, hey, I got another book. Now, I got another book. There is a, uh, there's two publishers interested in publishing it, and it's about serial church planning. And I talk about, I've got a chapter in there called The Land Between, which is that time in between church planning where you are, uh, it's weird. You're, you're funky because you're not using your gifts, but you also go into a deep rest so that you're ready. You're almost chomping at the bit to go again. Mm. You need that, right? Yeah. It's where we get, it's where we get sabbaticals from. Sabbaticals every seven years, um, going off of the period of, of, you know, seven day cycle, seven year cycle that God put down where you, you let the land rest. Um, there, there, there are sabbaticals. And so people take sabbaticals from time to time. And I, I just think we need to do that. Paul, like I said, he rested, but Jesus rests too. There are numbers of times where it says Jesus got away from everyone. You know, there were just times where he drew away in solitude and he rested. And so church planner, what I'm saying is, and we did a series early on. I think we did a, a series, you know, how to make it to the end. Um, recently, uh, we we heard of Perry Noble, and by the way, I, I I'm not a I'm not a um, I'm not a follower of Perry Noble. Or Noble, I don't know much about him. Um, you know, he kind of had his heyday before I lived in the country. But I have to say, I am proud of him for being transparent and honest. And saying, and, and, and I, I guess I haven't heard it, but I guess people are, are laying into the poor guy because he's, he's shared about, hey, I have a problem with alcohol. You know what? Here's the thing. We, the, the way that we've made ministry, it's not surprising, you know, with all the pressures and the demands, that that would be a temptation. That would be a temptation for anybody to, to, to turn to something else to deal with the pressures in some unhealthy way, because often we're so bad at resting or choosing a healthy way to deal with, uh, 
you know, with the pressures and demands. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at. We, we need to take rest. And there are different ways of taking rest. I remember Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher, once said, some people go to the seaside for a rest. And he said, me, I go to the 18th century. And what that meant for Lloyd-Jones was for him, he would get like a mental fatigue. You know, there's physical fatigue, there's mental fatigue. And he would get mentally fatigued. And when he was mentally fatigued, what he would say is, I'd go on a reading holiday. So I, he wouldn't actually go anywhere. He'd just stay at his house and he'd read and just pleasure read, just relax read. And Lloyd-Jones would, would have all different types of books open at all times. Um, you know, he would read a book about science. He'd read a book about, he would read things that he didn't need to read. He would just read for pleasure on top of his theological reading. And um, I think we can learn a lot from that. You know, some people, maybe it's, it's, you know, for Spurgeon, Spurgeon, it's kind of like me. Home. It's kind of like me. I, I love to just curl up with a good book. And I mean, when I'm, I'm like under a lot of pressure, I just want to, you know, go back to like Shakespeare and, and just read. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's something that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's like. Man, I wonder what's on Netflix, or maybe I'll rent a movie off of Amazon. But that's okay. See, here's the thing. It might be cheesy movies for you. It might be, um, I, I, okay, Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel. The rumor is that Chuck unwound with WWE. Now, I don't know that it's absolutely true. That's but the I best. Believe- All of a sudden, my opinion of him. Just shot way up if that's true. I believe, I believe on our Brian Broderson interview that we did, I'm, I'm 99% sure I asked him that and he confirmed it. Do you I remember that? I don't remember him? that because I'm telling you, that would have like, I would honestly look at that denomination and wonder why so many of their pastors are not like Chuck Smith then because they need to unwind some. And if WWE well, did it. Here's the thing. I'm sure they are. I'm just sure it's not cool to say, hey, I watch WWE. I'm a normal human being, you know, I, but, but he was and he is. And, you know, it, it's it's the kind of thing where if it takes WWE something just completely stupid and mindless. Sorry, sorry Barry, because Barry's a huge fan. Oh, my um, gosh. But, but if it takes something mindless and stupid and just almost like a place where you're like, you know, I feel really rested. Gary Vaynerchuk, um, who is a, a, a marketing guru, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, will tell you that, that he's always on. I mean, if you watch his, uh, this is Gary V. Um, he has this uh, daily thing where a camera follows him around. A guy edits it for him and he's up at like four in the morning. And often he's flying home. And catching a cab from the airport at like one in the morning, guy must get like two, three hours sleep. Not good, right? And 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 I I'm watching him with interest because there are people. I had a buddy of mine. He he was a stockbroker in San Francisco, and that was how he operated. He'd be moving, you know, hundreds of millions, who knows how much. But he only had a few clients. They were filthy rich, and he moved their money around all day. And he lived off very little sleep, uh, but he would have this manic energy. And I actually believe I, I will say this about stockbrokers, uh, specifically because I know that industry so well. I'm not saying this about your friend, but um, there is a lot of drug usage at, in those yeah. type of scenarios. I mean, a lot of cocaine and stuff, speed, all that. Yeah, type of and stuff. that well, and that was it. He was either on cocaine or he was manic. Because he would get these these periods where he would be go, 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 go and slamming coffee all day. And, um, you know, but but he was very, very effective. And you can't sustain that because then he would cry, have crashes. And I would think, oh, OK, he might be he might be manic depressive. He's going into a into a low phase now. Um, but but the reality is um, Vaynerchuk does this stuff where he um, he'll tell you. 
that where he recharges and, and guys, please do not follow his body's going to eventually give out. You can't keep doing that. You can't cheat your body. Some people do have genes that allow them to have tons of energy, but at the same time, um, you can be go, go, going uh, for a period of time and you will eventually hit a wall. It will always happen. I worked in a psych hospital. I watched athletes who use drugs. I watched people who, uh, you know, go, went, 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 and then eventually they crack. I'm just telling you, I've seen it. Do not be fooled when you're listening to these guys that are successful. Um, there were a lot of famous people in the psych hospital, a lot of famous people. And you'll never read about when they eventually crash, but it happens. I was in a psych hospital in LA and yes, I met famous people. And here's the deal. You, you just have to understand that uh, you need it. But what Gary does, and, and again, even he is drawing on a place where uh, he finds his rest. He finds his rest in NFL. He says, Sundays, I'm at that game. Come hell or high water, if there's a baptism in the family, if there's a wedding in the family, and it's during a time where the Giants are playing, I'm not there. Because that is my one sanctuary in the world. That is what I do. And nothing business, nothing impinges on that. Everybody who knows me knows if I schedule this during a Giants game, he's not coming. Well, when he ends up buying the Giants, that'll ruin that. That's 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 his goal yeah. in life. But but here's the deal. Um, it will ruin that. That's funny. Um, but but here's the deal. You you have to find your thing. You have to find how you rest and how you recharge. And for, you know, for me, it's funny because for me, it's, it's video games. I, I'll never forget walking through. Really? Um, yeah, it's video games for me. Um, I never took you reading. as a gamer. I never did. What's that? I never took you as a gamer. Yeah, you know what? It, and here's the thing. I don't do it. Okay, so this is bad for me. Let's say Andrea goes out. So I don't play video games unless Andrea is gone because then I'm like, okay, I'm bored now. What do I do? Do I watch a movie? Do I do this? And so that's kind of been my, my thing. And it started out with the video games when uh, they had this, this, this tabletop game it was called Starcraft and you do this, uh, you conquer the universe. So I really like that. I like conquering the universe, building robots and killing aliens. And it was cool. But, but here's it. It was just mindless. And everything I was doing, I was preaching six times a week in the church. I was counseling people in my young 20s that had marriage problems. I was doing all this life and death stuff, people's families falling apart. And I needed something that was completely brainless and just something that was almost kind of like an escape. So, so that was therapeutic. And I'll never forget when I was in nursing, again, the same thing. I was 19, 20 years old. I was 19 years old when I did CPR on my first uh, patient that passed away as I was doing CPR on him. And as a 19-year-old, that's kind of, it wasn't just me. I mean, there was a, I was on a crash team, but I was there. It was my patient. And uh, she had reacted uh, poorly uh, post-operative uh, gallbladder, had her, had her gallbladder removed. And, and, and at 19, when you're dealing with people dying, right in front of you and you're, you're studying all this medical jargon in these textbooks and it's everything's life and death. Life can get a little too heavy and ministry can do that same thing if you let it and it can just sap you. That's what I was talking about, that mental fatigue. I'll never forget. This is where everything started for me because I was serious, 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 serious all my young adult life. Um, I, I, I didn't really have fun. I was very on fire for God. I was trying to lead my friends to Christ all the time. And everything to me was life and death. And I, I'm not saying that in any way is a bad thing. That's something that still I hold dear. I'm thinking very often about people's salvation when I meet people. The gospel's forefront in my mind. Um, the, the, that's something that I hope never changes about me. But what happened was, when Anna and I started dating, she noticed that I would get very morbid and introspective. And there were times where 
I was just, I would go into these, she would call it my Eeyore face. You know, we're all going to die. Nobody really cares. You know, <laughs> it, it would, it would, it would just get on top of me. You know, what, what, what were you going to say? That was just laughing. Your Eeyore face. I was, I was going to make a joke, but, uh, I think your joke would have been better. So I stopped. I didn't have a joke. Sorry, man. I was just laughing. <laughs> but, uh, but so I get into the Sierra phase and I can, I can remember walking through the, um, the airport and they, you know, they have those old magazine stores, candy, all that, you know, the little newsstands. And I saw a rack with comic books on it. And I, I picked up a Spider-Man and I picked up a Captain America and they were the Stupidest things, even now. They weren't good comics. They were stupid. And I picked them up, and I went on the airplane because I was like, I can't read another serious book, another medical thing, another theology. And so I'm in nursing school. And I got on the airplane, and I cracked up with these stupid comic books. And it was like the best 20 minutes I had had in years. And I just thought, man, I need for my own health to do this occasionally because it just, it just relaxed. I, I felt myself unwinding. Then later it became like going to jazz concerts. Jazz concerts just did something for me. Um, and I started noticing there are just certain things that have nothing to do with anything. And that is their value for me. Does that make sense? It does, man. I totally get it. And uh, so I know we're running out of time, but guys, I, I hope that I've been able to at least open up maybe a, a, a window for you guys to know how to take care of yourself. Because like, like we said early on, you are uh, the weapon that God uses. Um, Charles Spurgeon's his book, The Minister's Self-Watch, um, talks about that uh, he quotes a proverb, if, if the axe is dull, the user must exert more force. He quotes that proverb and he says, look, if you're growing dull, you need to look after yourself. And so that's the first thing he starts off with in lectures of my students. And so today I want to leave you with that. If you want to dig deeper into that, there's also a helpful chapter in that book called The Minister's Fainting Fits. And that book uh, or that chapter will talk about depression. Charles Spurgeon suffered with depression, and that was why, and in another way, he was able to um, go to France and just have that break and get in a warm climate. Um, he would walk, he would garden, and he would get away. Those were three things he had to do to maintain his mental equilibrium and health, and uh, that was how he rested. So anyways, guys, I hope that's been helpful. I could talk about this all day, as he can tell. I just kind of went. Sorry, brother. I think if we really wanted to open you up, we'd have you talk about books. Oh yeah. That that's another way I, I rest. So anyways, well, Hey guys, thanks for joining us for the uh, podcast. Pete, you want to, want to have them shut up and give them your money? Well, you know what? Uh, let me just ask you, could you like shut up and give us the money? <laughs> yes. And now a word from our sponsor. Let me ask you a little something there, Peyton. Are you what we might consider a math pastor? Not at all. I think I don't you need, even know how to count money. I think you need to take a break from math. You need to rest. You need to take a break from the administration. Take a rest from all of that. Take a rest from the insurance, the workman's comp. Take a rest from all the IRS responsibilities and turn it over to simplifychurch.com I I get it. Yeah, rest. I see what you're doing. They're going to make so, life easy on you. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. They are. Guys, don't do all the stuff you don't have to do. That's another thing. We're talking about a team. Part of it's delegation, and you ought to be good at delegation. You need a team. You need to delegate. That's part of resting. That's how you get away. But uh, Simplify Church, they're hardwired in, man. They'll do it for you automatically. Do all the cruddy, yucky, businessy, accounting, mathy stuff you don't want to do. There you go. That's the ticket. 
Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for visiting simplifychurch.com and mogive.com. Peyton, you want to leave us uh, or walk us out? Hey, remember, guys, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music